Well, good morning, church family. I am so excited and honored and privileged to be able to uh, stand up here and to preach the Word of God to you. And I love it because God has given me a love for it and a calling for it. Um, and it. And it's amazing and a gracious gift from our Heavenly Father that He asked us to do things that we enjoy. Um, and it's an amazing thing, and I'm just so excited uh, to be here with you. And as we culminate this series, The Heart of Christ, um, and as we are following Jesus, or maybe you're in here and you don't even know who Jesus is and you're figuring this out, um, I'm glad that you're here. But in order for us to know Jesus better, we have to know his heart. And Pastor Dustin has been saying this over and over, that uh, the heart reveals the deepest reality of who someone is. We can't really say that we know someone unless we know their heart, unless we know the deepest part of them and what they think and what they believe and what they think about themselves and believe about themselves. The heart reveals the deepest reality of who someone is. Our text for this entire series has been Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Gentle and lowly is another way of saying humble, and uh, the first week Pastor Dustin did a great job of saying gentle and lowly means that Jesus is accessible. Jesus is not hard to find, and we see that even when the, the children are coming to Jesus and the disciples are like, whoa, get back, and Jesus is like, no, let them come unto me. That's how you have to come to Jesus to receive the kingdom of heaven like a child, and we know that Jesus has open arms. He is not hard to find. He is gentle and lowly in that way. And this is so important, and this series has been so important for me because, like anyone else, I project my capacity to love onto God. I project what I think onto God. I project uh, my notions and my, uh, the way I live my life onto God. And through this, uh, through our human brains and our human hearts, we try to do that over and over to make sense of God Almighty's love or to make sense of His power and who He is. And I do a really, really bad job of it. I do a terrible job of it. And I pray that this series has pointed out those things like it has to me. The, the true heart of Christ, of who he is. Things about Jesus you didn't know or things you did not understand. And more importantly, uh, ways that we've gotten it wrong in our view of Christ, in our view of his heart for us. Because I love that God has given us this, the, his word, his Bible. And through his Holy Spirit, he uses this. And it says in scripture that uh, the Bible, the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. And Second Timothy, it says that it can pierce to the marrow and I don't know about you, but that's about as deep into me as you can get, is my bone marrow. And it says it can pierce there. And the good thing is, is God is replacing what I think about him, these human projections that I fall short of, and he's replacing it with the truth, the word of God. If you ever wonder what God's like, it's right here. If you ever wonder what God would say, we're shown that that is Jesus and what Jesus would say, what Jesus would do. And that's how we know the heart of Christ is through his word. It's perfect, it's inerrant, and it is God-breathed, and it's a gift. And we have it. And I love that it is literally God getting into me and weeding out all these misconceptions I have about him and replacing them with the truth of Scripture and who he is. Through this study, uh, we've seen that Jesus says, come to me and learn from me and take my yoke upon you. And I've I've kind of seen that this is really the simplest way to look at what Christian maturity is like, what following Jesus is like. Because if we come to Jesus and we learn from Jesus, that aligns my heart with Christ. Every time I come to him, if he has a heart, it is aligning my heart to his heart. And the will of God is 
pulling me into him, aligning my will with God's will. And I love this, this thought I read this week. It just says, when we come to Jesus, it's replacing our orphan mindset with the truth that we are adopted into the family of God through Christ Jesus. It's replacing that orphan mindset that I have that surely one day this divine love and grace will run out, but praise the Lord that it doesn't. Praise the Lord for the truth of the gospel uh, that we can know the true and biblical heart of Jesus Christ and it will replace it. And I love this quote. It says, we love up to a limit, but Jesus loves to the end. And that's what we're gonna get into. And that's what this entire series has been about is the heart of Christ is so much more than we can think in our human capacity and what we believe. So we've looked in the heart of Christ. We've seen his joy. I love that scripture says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross for me and for you. For the joy, he was willing to lay down his life and die for us for joy. Then we see his compassionate heart, which is his love in action. People can talk about how much they love you, but when you see it, that's when it really makes sense. And that's what we see with Jesus. His compassionate heart was not just, I love you. It's, I'm going to show you that I love you. And he was healing um, and he died for us. His love in action. Michael talked about Lazarus and showed us Jesus' emotional heart with the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. In that, we see Jesus' friends were literally torn apart because their brother died. Lazarus was Jesus' friend and he died. And we see that Jesus felt he had perfect emotion in that moment. He was wrecked because his friend died and he knew he was about to raise him from the dead. He had perfect emotion and we see that he loved the people that he loved and he loved them well and he had a perfect emotional heart and he weeps with us when we weep. And last week, Pastor Dustin did a great job of his ways are not our ways and not just this blanket of sovereignty that we know that God's ways are not our ways. He's the creator, he's almighty, he knows everything. But in the way he forgives He forgives and he pardons abundantly. More than I'm even capable of thinking I could forgive somebody, God pardons abundantly. And these are just a few things of the heart of Christ that we've dove into. Um, And I've loved this series and it's helped me understand uh, the heart of Christ in all of this. Um, And I really thought I knew the gospel and I thought I understood the heart of Christ pretty well. Um, But then I had a son So I'm gonna show you CJ, which I think my wife just walked him out, but we're gonna show some pictures of my son. That's my beautiful wife, Chrissy, and CJ. He is almost six months old, uh, and he's amazing. There's more cuteness, just wait. There's a couple more. Yep. I mean, he's so cool. He's wearing Vans and a Carhartt beanie, and just, yeah. Sorry, he's not wearing a shirt, but whatever, he's cute. Not that you have to be a parent or a husband or anything to understand God's love, but it made it way more tangible for me. Uh, I could see it and I could feel it, and it's a new level of love that I can't understand. It's a new level of, uh, it literally makes my heart palpitate when I see him, and like the first time I held him, I literally can't understand how I felt. In those few seconds when they don't breathe is hell on earth in the beginning, but I didn't know the love of God fully and completely, but he helped me. Like God gave me this gift to help me understand. And it also shows of what you're capable of when you think about if somebody was to hurt him, the capacity I have evil side of me to like mend that, not good, not good at all. But it shows the love that I have for him. When he cries, it hurts me. When I know he's hungry or his stomach hurts, it literally like calls me into action. Like I'll get up, I'll drop everything. 
every morning when I have like my quiet time, it's, it's quiet until it's not. Um, so I'll be there. Uh, I've learned to not like fight it at all. Like I'll be like reading my Bible and drinking my coffee. I like to get up really early so that I can have that time. But sometimes I'll just hear him and I'm just like, all right, I'm going to go get him because I can and I love him and I want to see him and I delight in him. And that is what scripture says about God's way he looks about me, that I delight in CJ when I hold him, but in the same way God delights in me more than I can understand, and God loves and delights my son more than I ever will. And that's so hard for me to like understand, but I love that the psalmist uses the word delight. He says, he rescued me and he delights in me. And we don't think about that a lot, and that's really what I want to get into as we wrap up this Heart of Christ series because at the end of the day, the worst thing that could happen, the most heartbreaking thing in the world for me would be CJ grow up and not know that I love him and would do anything for him or that I delight in him or that he doubted I loved him or if he messed up really bad and he hesitated to come to his dad because he was afraid like I would disown him. That would be heartbreaking to me that surely my love would have a limit but that's not the case. And scripture says, if I can feel that way, and it says that I'm evil, it says if I, if I as an evil father can feel that way and do those things for my son, which by the way, cat's out of the bag, it says you're evil too, we're all evil, it's in there. But if we're evil and we can feel that way about our kids, imagine the love of God for his children. That's what it takes, and it became more tangible with me with that little boy. Um, and now he's looking at me, he's really cute. So. In all of this, I want us to start with and end with in this scripture that it says, Jesus says, come to me. He says, come to me. And that applies to everyone, and we're going to get in that. But as we culminate this series, I really want us to address this gospel truth, which is, he loved us then, he'll love us now. He loved us then, he will love us now. And here's why. I read that book, Gentle and Lowly, that we talked about. That inspired this series, The Heart of Christ. It's literally the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. It's like 25 chapters long, and I read it once, and I was like, that's amazing. And I think I highlighted half the book, which is just, just don't highlight anything if you're going to highlight that much. It was so good. Chapters and chapters and chapters talking about the heart of Christ, that he loved me, that he died for me, that he saves to the uttermost. There's no one outside the reach of his grace that he will never cast me out, that his mercy is new every morning and I am secure to the end. And then we read it again as a staff and I highlighted the other half of the book because it talks about all these things and these gospel truths that I know. But there's a part of me, if I'm honest, that struggles to believe that. Like I have a struggle inside of me every day and I'm being honest and transparent and I'm preaching to me today and I'm just assuming some of you know and feel what I'm talking about today. But there's a part of me that knows that theology on paper, but if you were to look at my moment-by-moment -moment interactions with God the Father, those don't line up. And there's something in me that like hesitates that surely this love and grace has a limit when I mess up. Like surely it can't be this good but it is, and praise God for the gospel that it is true. Even when we read John 3:16, which we sang, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That is the gospel, and if you don't know the gospel, here it is. 
God loved the world, and he saved, sent his only son. Jesus willingly died for us to reconcile us and have a relationship with us, and we are sealed for eternity. And that is, I believe that with all my heart, but there's sometimes in me, and that's what I want to get to, where my actual theology, I, I hesitate to believe that. I struggle with that, especially when I sin, because in my head, when I sin and I do, when I sin again, surely I'm like, this will run out, or God is disappointed, or that Corey did it again, that prideful, self-righteous, selfish kid let me down again. Or even when I'm in my obedience, when I'm doing exactly what God tells me, there's something in me is like, oh, you could have done more. There's, you, uh, you kind of left some lacking. You didn't really measure up as much as I thought. Or even when I'm apathetic, because if I'm honest, there's days where I'm like, I don't care today. Following Jesus or following whatever, I'm just like, blah, I got nothing. Or there's times where I am angry towards God, especially in this time. There's people who have lost their jobs, who have lost everything, who are struggling right now, and they're just kind of angry. And if that's you today, just read the Psalms because there's a lot of those angry prayers in there, so it's, it is okay. But in those moments, in my sin, even in my obedience, in my apathy, in my anger towards God sometimes, or especially the worst one is when everything is going smooth. I don't come to him. I hesitate to come to him because, well, I don't really, like I don't say this out loud, but like there's a hesitancy because I don't really need anything right now. Everything's great. In all of those things, I hesitate to come to him. But praise God for the gospel that his love is new and his mercy is new every day. And as his adopted child, I can't do anything about it. I can't perform so that God loves me more than he does right now or when he saved me. And I can't disappoint him or do anything that makes him love me any less. And this is so important because as we look at this scripture, it says, Jesus says, come to me. In John 15, his commandment says to abide in him because he's the vine, he's the life, he's the savior, he's our only hope in this life and he's our only hope in death, our only hope in eternity. So any of my human thoughts or my human projections or lies of the enemy or misconceptions that I have that cause me to hesitate to go to him or cause me to not go to him at all are destructive and they're against the word of God and they need to be weeded out of my life. And further than that, nothing can make Satan happier than sidelining a Christian for a little while. Nothing can make him happier. I've read that book, The, the Screw Tape Letters, that C.S. Lewis wrote, and there's literally demons conspiring, talking to each other that are just saying, we just want to make the Christians apathetic a little bit, make them not care. That's really where his victory lies with us. He's not trying to really destroy your life. He's just trying to make you not pay attention. And any of those things that happen that cause us to hesitate to come to Jesus in any state, um, they're destructive. And I want to really dive into that so that we know the love of Christ, that he doesn't want that. He wants us to come to him. So we're going to be in Romans 5, um, verses 6 through 11 is going to be our main text today. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And that's the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us this gift so that we can know you and we can know your heart for us. We can know what you've called us to. I pray, Lord, that you would use your word to soften my heart and to correct areas and misunderstandings I have and replace them with the truth of the gospel of who you are. Help us to grow in the knowledge in the heart of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would use me and put me to the side uh, and speak through me and speak through your word and equip the saints for the work of the ministry, Lord. And we give it all to you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this uh, this passage of Scripture, I want to look at just two, uh, two main things. The first one is our status before Christ. This paints a really good picture here. It says in verse 6, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, God shows his love for us while we were still sinners, he died for us. In verse 10, it says, while we were enemies. So we were weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies. Not exactly the nicest way to describe somebody, but that applies to all of us. That applies to us before Christ, and if you don't know Jesus, there's gospel truth after this that will tell you that you can come to Jesus for salvation today. In verse 9, it says, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And that's really important when Paul puts that in here because he talks about God's wrath, and that is the truth, that God is so holy and just and perfect that he has to correct every wrong that's ever been done. He has to take action against sin. He has to. It's who he is. He is so holy and perfect that God's wrath is a real thing. And when we look at that, and it says that we were enemies of the cross, we were enemies of God, that means I had hostility towards God, and God in his perfectness has to deal with sin, and I'm a sinner. There's enmity on both sides there. When we really understand that deep down, it makes the gospel that much more beautiful when we understand the love of God, and it does show us that God acted first. And the best way to describe enemies, I was even trying to think in my own life, like, I mean, I've experienced bullies, um, I've had like rivalries in sports, but like never anyone to be like, that's my enemy. Never had like an arch nemesis, like I'm some sort of superhero and that guy's my enemy. But then as I'm reading this and thinking about how to really get this deep down into my soul, I just look at scripture because the guy who wrote this was Paul. And Paul used to be Saul, and Saul was a Pharisee. And Pharisees, especially Paul at this time, they said Jesus was not the Messiah, like blatantly. Paul, Saul, I'm trying to just, there's, it's the same guy, so just go with me here. Saul was a Pharisee. He was smart, he was educated, he was connected. He was the next guy of the Pharisees. We could just call him that. He trained under Gamaliel. Like he has all, all the check marks for being a chief Pharisee. He believed Jesus was not the Messiah. He believed anyone who said Jesus was the Messiah was against the Torah, was against everything, was against God, was blaspheming against him. So much so that he wanted to do anything to stop people who were proclaiming that Jesus was the Son of God. And we see this in Acts, when Stephen, who's one of the first deacons of the church, is proclaiming Jesus, and the religious re leaders tell him to stop, and he says no, and they drag him out of the city, 
And they begin to throw stones at him and kill him and throw stones until he dies. And it says this man Saul was there holding the coats and he was approving of everything that they did. And we've all seen that and noticed it, but this week it really like illuminated the actual evil of the heart of Saul because he watched a guy get killed for what he believed in and that hyped him up. Like he got excited. He's like, oh, we got one. I wonder how many we could get. Like, surely if we can stop this guy, we can stop all of these people from proclaiming Jesus. So he goes to all of his powerful friends. He's like, hey, give me all the arrest warrants you can get. I'm going to Damascus. I'm going to stop this way before it goes any further, as if he could stop God, which he's about to find out. But that was the evil even of Saul. And that's the guy who wrote this, saying we were enemies. And so don't be looking at, you know, Saul and Paul and saying, well, that guy was really bad, because he uses the same language to describe me and describe you. But we see here that God saved him on the road to Damascus. Jesus shows up and says, hey, bud, what are you doing? Stop, stop trying to stop me. And we see that Jesus radically saves Saul, changes his name to Paul, and he becomes the greatest missionary and church planner that we have in Scripture. And he was the ultimate enemy of God, and we see that God acted first. And that's huge, because when we see that we were enemies when we even see with Saul, who was Paul, when we see that God acted when this guy was literally trying to destroy everything of the gospel, God acted first. God took the initiative, and that's the beauty of all this. We see in verse 6, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That means that the atonement, that means that the gospel, Jesus' saving work, was no afterthought. God didn't just like make this up because he had to. This was his plan to deal with sin and he did it when he wanted and how he wanted it, and he accomplished it himself through Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It was no afterthought. And then it even says in verse 8, but God shows his love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That shows that while we were still sinners, that God loves us because of what he is, not because of what we are. God loves us because of what and who he is, not because of what and who I am. Nothing to deserve this grace and this love and this truth. I'm going to nerd out for a little bit in here and talk about Greek words because it makes me very excited and I love it. But the word show here in verse 8 when it says, but God shows his love for us, one way to, to, to see that word of what it means, it means to put beyond questioning. God wants to show us the, how much he loved us so we stop worrying about it. It's like so amazing, the gospel is so good and so true and doesn't make any sense that he wants to put it beyond questioning. He wants to show us his love so we stop worrying if he loves us. And verse 10 says, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. In the book, Dana Ortland does this. He says, to put the same truth backwards, Jesus didn't die for us once we became strong. He didn't die for us once we started to overcome our sinfulness, and God did not reconcile us to himself once we became friendly toward him. He did all that before. He didn't meet us halfway. God and his son, Jesus Christ, took the initiative. They acted first. He loved us then, he'll love us now. And that's really important as we move on to the next part of this section, justification, peace, and reconciliation. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5 say, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I love that there's these three different tiers that we see that Paul uses. Justification means to be declared righteous by God. That's literally a judge with a gavel saying, not guilty. That's justified, that we are no longer guilty. But it gets even better, because then it says we've been justified and we have peace with God. So when we go back to the fact that we were enemies, Jesus, with his atoning work, says you're no longer guilty of that, but now there's peace between two enemies. There's peace with God that happens from that. And this, Paul is using uh, these words to show that God is not just a detached judge who's like dispensing judgment. When he hits the gavel, he's not just saying, well, you're good, but get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. It takes it a step further. We're justified. We have peace, which means two enemies now are no longer enemies. There's a truce. They've said we're not against each other anymore. And he's not this detached judge, but he's the lover of sinners desiring reconciliation. It says we have peace with God. And I love this word, the way he says peace. It's a present tense, which means to have, which means we have it now and we will have it forever we will have peace with God. It's not gonna run out. And that's really important as we're talking about these things that cause us to doubt our relationship with God because we have peace and we will have peace. It's an ongoing experience because of Jesus. And it gets better. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That word access in the Greek is not just access like I have access to my refrigerator and I can go get whatever I want out of it whenever I want. That's access. But this access is a divine introduction. It's really the kind of access if I was gonna try to go to the White House and meet the president, it can't happen unless I have an introduction. I need somebody that has the right badge, that probably has a gun, that probably you know, can get me in, but also he can get him in, but he has the power to get me all the credentials I need to get into the Oval Office. Because I can't do that on my own, unless I like win a national championship. I think that's the easiest way to get in if you're not supposed to be there. But I'm not gonna do either of those. But that access is a divine introduction. It sets me up, and that's what Jesus did for us. And not only that, it says, once we have that introduction, that word stand, to nerd out again, it's the perfect tense in the Greek. That means it's just, you stand, and it's forever. It's kind of like when we think about eternity, like God has always been, he always will be. Our standing now that we get to stand in this grace, in this peace, it happened, and it will always happen. I will always be able to stand in peace in the grace of God, and I don't need an introduction anymore. I am standing in that. And that's what reconciliation is. You can't have reconciliation without justification and peace. And we know that we, we, the best way to do that is you can forgive somebody who hurts you, but certain times you can forgive a person, but you're not gonna go to dinner with them. Like there's, there's forgiveness, but reconciliation is when it is healed. Reconciliation is the truth of the gospel that I was an orphan, I've been reconciled, and now, I am a child of God. He took it beyond we're enemies and we have peace, we're justified. He hit the gavel and said, I'm good. But then he said, I want a relationship with you. I want to adopt you, adopt an enemy. I think the perfect way to, to see this is actually in the Old Testament, which is in 2 Samuel. We see this picture of King David, who has been king of Israel for a while. This is after Saul and Jonathan were both killed in battle. 
And David says to one of his servants, hey, is there anybody left from Saul's family? Because I want to show him the kindness of God. And the guy's like, I think there might be a few. Let me go check. And he says, there's one. His name's Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was the grandson of Saul. Saul, if you know the story, Saul was the first king of Israel, and he was anointed as the king, and then he started living for his own kingdom and not for God. And through that, God said, well, David's going to be the next king of Israel. And that made Saul mad and angry, and he tried to kill David over and over and over again. It says he hunted him down like a dog, would chase him into caves. Then he would relent and say, David, I'm so sorry. But then he would try to kill him again, constantly throwing spears at him while he's playing music, trying to kill him. That's the guy that David said, is there anybody from that guy's house that I can show the kindness and the love of God to? And they found Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, the story says, is he was dropped as a kid, so he was crippled. In that culture, if, if part of you didn't work, you were seen as less than other people. So we have this guy, this grandson of his greatest enemy he ever saw, who had nothing to offer the king. David said, I want to show him kindness. And this kindness was, he said, hey, uh, all of this stuff, you guys are going to be his servants. Anything that you guys get, like any, any grain, it's Mephibosheth's to have. And he, he's going to have a seat at my table the rest of his life. And what that meant is Mephibosheth got to sit at the king's table and eat dinner with the king every single day. And that is a gesture that only happens for David's sons. Not only was David just like, okay, we'll, we'll set this guy up. I'll feel better about myself. I'll, I want to, you know, serve him and be nice to him. He gave him a seat at the table as a son, literally telling him that you're as equal as my sons to a guy who had nothing to offer him. Reconciliation. It doesn't make any sense at all, but we see that in the Old Testament. We see that. That's the gospel. We're Mephibosheth. I am. I have nothing to offer, and I can't walk. I got to be carried in and sat down at the table, but once I get to the table, I'm one of the king's sons. And that's the beauty of the gospel, the perfect picture of reconciliation. Verse 11 says, more than that, as if we need more. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I love it. our English word for reconciliation. We understand uh, it's been achieved, like we can achieve reconciliation. But in the Greek, it's the work of reconciliation, which means it is a work that is finished. And I love that, because if something is finished, that means it's 100% complete. It's not lacking in anything. It can't get any better if it's finished. And that lines up with what our Savior said on the cross. It's finished. Can't get any better. It's done. It's sealed. It is finished. And that's how this reconciliation took place, is with Jesus Christ on the cross. Therefore, we have been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved from his life. In these two verses, it talks about this greater to the less thing. That the hard part was Christ justifying us. The hard part was the reconciliation, making us friends with God by the blood of his cross and him raising from the dead. That was the hard part. And Paul's literally like, if he can do that, well, surely keeping us is the easy part. Surely saving us for the day of redemption and keeping us is not hard for Jesus to do. And that's the part when we talk about coming to him and what I struggle with, that's the part that I need to know. That's the part that is fact. 
that it's not hard for Jesus to keep me. If he can reconcile me to the king, then surely him keeping me is no great task for Christ. I am saved in his life and he is in me. And I love that these last couple verses, they talk about our salvation when we are saved. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, we are saved. And these verses talk about we are saved on the day of judgment, that we don't have to worry about when we meet Jesus on his day, that we are secure, that we're saved on that day from the wrath of God. So we're talking about these bookends, and in the middle, Jesus is saving us, and that's where we don't have anything to worry about. If he loved us back then, when I was so messed up and had zero interest in him, what am I worried about now? Jesus says, come to me. So, now the struggling part. What about when I do sin? What about when I, I disobey blatantly what the Bible tells me to do or what God has told me to do, these sins of omission when we know we're supposed to do something? What about when I'm apathetic? What about right now when my life's a mess and COVID has taken my job and my, my marriage has fallen apart or I don't know how to parent my kids and all of these things are happening, all this disease that we're dealing with and brokenness, in all of that, is God angry at me? Because I think that's where my hesitations come is I don't know. So when I, I know I'm good now, I know I'm good then, but what about now? Is God angry with me? And I want to talk about the, the best way I could learn this and see this is there's a difference between contempt and disapproval. And that's really where God, he does hate sin. He has perfect anger towards that. His wrath is coming towards those things. And God is holy and perfect and his justice must correct all of those things. And when I do sin, God disapproves of my actions. He is displeased with my sin. It breaks his heart. As a father, seeing your son or your child do something that you know will hurt them breaks your heart because you love them. So there's this difference when I sin or when I fall short, even when I do really good. Like, God can be, have disapproval over my actions, but he never looks at me with contempt. He never looks at me and is surprised like the fact that we think we can surprise God by our actions is just funny to me, but I think that all the time. But in that, no matter what, I'm a child of God, I'm secured. He never looks at me with contempt. He never looks and be like, man, Corey, when are you gonna get this right? As if I ever could on my own strength. So there's a difference between disapproval and contempt. And God is not surprised, and I like the, in the book it says that God is not flustered by my sin. He knows that sin hurts me. He knows that sin leaves me disappointed, that sin grieves my heart, that sin is not what's best for me, that sin is just false. Just like if anything was going to hurt CJ, it would break my heart and I would want to do everything I could to stop it because I love him. And when he will mess up one day, just how I did with my dad, he, I never doubted that my dad loved me, even when I did things that I thought would. I was like, huh, certainly it'll run out now but it never did. And that's that difference that we see here. In Psalm 18, 19, it says, he rescued me because he delighted in me. And as we look at this, knowing that God disapproves of sin, but we cannot be held in contempt with God, I don't want you to walk out of here and think that sin is no big deal, because Paul addresses that in the next chapter. Sin is a big deal. We should hate sin. We're called to hate sin as God hates sin, and we're called to holiness because God is holy. In Romans 6.1, it says, what shall we say then? Are we continue to in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Romans 12 says, 
The marks of a true Christian are this, to let love be genuine, to abhor what is evil. That is like worse than hate. To abhor something is to hate sin, to hate evil, and to hold fast to what is good. Sin is destructive. Sin is against God. It's really, when he says that we were weak and ungodly, ungodly is sinful. It's just the opposite of God. It's the opposite of holiness. It is the opposite of his perfect will for your life. When we sin, we're literally missing out for the perfect will of God in our life in that moment. We're choosing selfishness. I'm choosing my path over what God's is. That's what sin is. It's selfishness all the time. And God knows that it hurts us, and he hates it, and he has to deal with it. But good news. First John 2 says this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I love that because this is John, who is the, the disciple who Jesus loved. And he's writing this in his older age, and he's writing to Christians that are coming up behind him. And he's saying, my little children, as a spiritual father, knowing what sin has done and what he's dealt with in his life, I'm writing this so that you don't sin. I want what's best for you. And this is a spiritual father saying this. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And that is, that is the seal on all of these things where I don't have to worry about any of this because I have an advocate. An advocate is someone who's an attorney, you can say. Like every time I sin and I need to confess my sin, I have an advocate, which is Jesus Christ. Not only do I have access to the throne room, but I now have this lawyer who can't lose because he walks in and says, hey, he's with me. Uh, my blood covers him. Uh, he's righteous. And it's so funny that when we sin, we think that we can cover it up or make it pretty to God, but even without Jesus, we don't even have access to the courtroom to fight our case, and we think we do. But we have access because of Jesus, and not only that, he's pulling me along and saying, hey, he's with me. He's my advocate, and he will always be. I love that when we look at the Greek word for advocate, it's actually an every-time occurrence. Like, we got to think of it every time we need our advocate, our advocate will step up and stand next to us every single time. When we sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And the best thing is it says in Romans 8, as Paul goes on, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No more condemnation, and we get to lean on that. God not only loved me enough to save me, he delighted in me then, he delights in me now and he will hold me until the day of salvation. So when, I like this quote a lot when it talks about sin. When you do sin, do a thorough job of repenting. Rehate sin all over again. I love that, and I've been quoting that over and over and over, because so many times if I deal with sin, uh, I can repent of it, but do a thorough job of repenting and rehate it all over again, just how God hates it. View our sin in a way that is not what God has in store for us, what's best for us in our brokenness. And Paul, who used to be an enemy of God, he believed this so truly that we have nothing to worry about. Romans 5.11, now we can rejoice in the gospel. It's too good to be true. So we praise God in that, that we can rejoice that we can rejoice and I don't have to hesitate to come to him because though he disapproves of my actions, my good ones and my bad ones, because even my good works are filthy rags, but he says, come to me. 
every single time. We can't hesitate to go to Jesus. That is how we align our heart with his heart as we come to him, come to him. So that's the invitation for everyone in here today. If you're in here and you have no idea about this Jesus, this invitation is for you. We need to be saved from our sins, and he says, come to me. If you need to repent of sin, Christian, if there's ongoing sin in your life or just sin in general that we deal with, repent, rehate your sin all over again, and come to me is what Jesus said. Sometimes we need to admit that we are ignoring God in these seasons, that we kind of don't want anything to do with him because he thinks he doesn't, we think he doesn't want anything to do with us. But he says, come to me. If you're mad at God, he says, come to me. If you need strength, he says, come to me. I love that he did not save us and just leave us to our own devices. He says, come to me. And then he says, abide in me. You can't do any of this on your own. I am your strength. That's what Jesus says to us. He says, come to me because I am the only way in this life. And if you're sitting in here and you're saying, that sounds all nice, but my life is really, really hard right now and I can't pay my bills or I'm struggling with disease and I don't know if it's going to be overcoming or if it can be overcome or if life is just difficult right now, I I want us to look around in here because we're called to love one another and God gave us this gift, which is this body of Christ. He's the head of it. We're the body. When one of us hurts, we all hurt. And we've been organized and are this living organism that God has gifted us and we are in Christ and we are called to love and support one another. So in the tangible day-to-day things, if you're like, well, that's nice, come to Jesus. Yeah, come to Jesus because I love you too and I want to help you. And all these brothers and sisters in here feel the exact same way about that. And that's what God has designed his church for. But he says, come to me. Whether you're having the best day of your life or the worst day of your life, he says, come to me. That is the only true way to follow Jesus on an everyday basis. We're about to go into this series about family. And that's literally when I don't know how to be a good husband, come to Jesus. Because if he can love me like this, that's how I have to love my wife. If he took the initiative when I was his enemy, I have to take the initiative to love my wife. And the same thing with how I parent my son. We come to Jesus. And we have to know that we might love up to a limit, but Jesus loves to the end. So the invitation is for everybody. If you need Jesus, if you need to repent, or if you just need to come to Jesus just to thank him for how good today has been, come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that even though we doubt, even though we struggle with sin and struggle with what your heart really is for us, uh, you give us scripture, you give us your word, you declare that there's nothing to worry about. If we are in Christ, he will never cast us out. If we are in Christ, he is with us to the end. He saves to the uttermost and he will see us through to the day of salvation. Father, I pray that you would help this gospel to sink deep into my bones to where it affects my interactions with people. I can't love unless I truly understand your love. I can't act until I truly understand the way you acted first. Help us to take initiative. Help us to love one another. Help us to hold one another accountable and to hold one another's arms up. Jesus, we need you and we come to you and we declare that we can't do anything without you. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this song and let's come to Jesus today. Let us stand together. Let us sing the name of Jesus. We need to come to Jesus.
And sometimes just coming is just calling. Calling out his name. Jesus, we need you. Maybe it's been a while, but this morning, let's just call it out to him. Let's sing it out. Jesus, my heart will sing. My heart will sing. No other name. Jesus. That's your name. Jesus. My heart will sing. No other person in here whether you've maybe you've come to Christ this morning you want to know him you want to follow him maybe you've made a decision if you've done that please connect with us we want to walk alongside you in this faith journey whether it's online or here in the building but this is the beauty of Pastor Corey's message is that it's for everyone whether you're new in Christ or you've walked with Christ over 50 years we still need to be reminded that he loves us to the end amen so pastor Corey, thank you for that and church connect with us we have connection cards and if you're new this morning we are so glad that you're here but we want to walk alongside you we want to get to know you and your family we know for sure here at this church that this faith journey is not meant to be done alone and i can't do it alone and pastor Corey's talked about that as a church we want to come alongside you so please do that whether it's online or here in the building but now let us just go before god and ask him to bless us as we go. Father God, we're so grateful for your word that tells us the truth that you so love the world that you gave your only son 
that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And that love will love us all the way to the very end, onto eternity. It's an unfailing, it's a steadfast love. It endures forever. And so God, I'm just grateful for this message. I'm grateful for this series that showed us your heart. It took all these big theological ideas about you and went straight to the heart of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We need to know this. Impact our minds, Lord, but transform our hearts so that we might walk in step with your word and do it out of an overflow of our love for you. And so, God, now I just pray that you would bless us, that you would continue to be gracious to us, oh God, that you would keep us, make your face to shine upon us, lift your countenance, Lord, upon your people, and give us peace, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church.